Shut up and sit down. back what's up guys episode 82 comes straight back and getting it done again um if you tuned into the last episode fantastic it only just got uploaded so um way to jump on that straight away uh but as i started the last show saying i wanted to do two episodes tonight and make it three for the week because i wanted to cover some stuff that's been going on in mixed martial arts and preview a few of the fights that are coming up on UFC 236, which is main event Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway for the 155-pound title, uh, lightweight title, which is currently uh, vacant uh, because of the troubles with Khabib uh, that stemmed after the Connor fight. Um, Co-main is also a title fight for a, for a vacant belt. It is for the uh, middleweight belt, and that's Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum because the title was vacated after Robert, Robert Whitaker, who was the standing champion, had to pull out of his fight against Kelvin Gastelum with a hernia, I believe, or some sort of a rib issue or a stomach issue. Uh, but that had that title had to be relinquished because apparently the health issues were pretty were were pretty serious and. It was undetermined at the time when he'd be able to fight again. So this is to get that belt to home. And so is the main event. So I'm looking forward to those two fights. Uh, but I wanted to break down a couple of them and just give my thoughts on sort of the main event. You know, I think there's five or six fights on the main event. A few of them are just, you know, like like pick'ems, like let's see what happens. Um, but there's a lot going on in MMA at the moment. And... I commented on one of our previous shows, it was a few shows ago now, about the Conor McGregor uh, beef with Khabib and how it kind of escalated and how it kind of turned all crazy and I was laughing my ass off because I think it's funny and I do think it's funny and I just wanted to circle back on it because I, I hear a lot of people taking it all very, very seriously like this is dangerous and you don't mess with the guy's family and I get all of that and I get the the kind of unspoken ethics and rules involved in MMA. Uh, apologies for the massive truck going by my house in the background this time of night. What the hell is it doing? Um, but I get all of that. I get the ethics involved. I get the, you know, pushing the line and the envelope too far. But isn't that why we all kind of love Connor? And isn't Khabib's juxtaposition to Connor's personality why we love Khabib? But now he's kind of stepping back in the, you know, punching back in terms of social media and, you know, posting these, you know, the images that he's posted. And things have gone quiet over the last week. And I suspect that the, the top boys at the UFC have contacted both of them and said, hey, that's enough now, uh, you know, going a little too far. But for me, it was, it was what it, it always is. It was entertainment. And I didn't think of it in such serious terms, I guess. And maybe I should have, I don't know. Um, but just this holier than now type of stuff from some of these commentators in the MMA world, it's just like, guys, they're going in there and beating the absolute fucking shit out of each other. Yes, they're sportsmen. Yes, they're professional athletes. I get it. But in their DNA, they are the most primal, savage individuals on the planet. 
because they choose to do the most dangerous, toughest sport in the world. So it's like, do we expect them to be gentlemen? I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily expect them to be that. I love decorum. I love the professionalism of a GSP. For sure, he's my favorite fighter of all time. But I also love the marketing and the brash kind of spectacle that Connor puts on. And cut the line. Cut the line real close. But I just think it's kind of hypocritical for, for people on one hand to say, yeah, like I'm going to support this sport where these guys smash each other's mouths and smash each other's bodies to mush, you know, do, do the most violence you can do to another person professionally and then have a go at them when they, you know, when they get a little rowdy on social media and start attacking each other, like in a bit more personal way than we think is appropriate. I don't know. It's like, fuck, man. Like... I don't know. For me, it's just like, do what you do, man. But maybe I should have been a little more sensitive. I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, it's all gone quiet on that front. What's blown up in the past couple of days is that TJ Dillashaw has tested positive for an injectable EPO. So an EPO is a type of drug that, you know, cyclists use to, it basically thickens your blood. And don't ask me because I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor, so I don't know exactly how it all works from a scientific point of view. But apparently it allows you to absorb more oxygen into your blood and therefore you can perform endurance sports at a higher pace for a longer time. Now, apparently he was in, he was tested positive for the Cody fight, which was before the fight he actually lost to Henry Cejudo for the title. And... This ultimately, to me, does put a stain all over his accomplishments. I was a massive TJ fan. The way he spoke about his dedication and his focus and his diet and his training and his development and his progression. And the evolution of TJ Dillashaw as a fighter has been one to watch and one to sort of marvel at because of what we, you know, what we presumed was a, a scientific methodology that you know, hadn't been really seen other than, you know, the sort of stuff that GSP was doing. Very scientific-based, very, very down-to-the-letter analysis of everything that happened that went, uh, that went into his body in his training sessions, etc. And for this to come out, for him to be a cheater, is horrendous. And the audacity of him to write his first post saying me and my team are investigating this is laughable. It's absolutely laughable because the amount that he tested positive for was an injectable amount. It wasn't trace amounts. It wasn't a picogram like John Jones had or any of that stuff, which is dodgy enough in itself, those levels and how they manifest in results. But injectable levels, straight up doping with EPO. And so he's been given a two-year ban. And I think he's 29, 28, something like that. So he'll still be in a ripe age to be competitive. But if you've been doping, and you know this bears the question, how long for? Like how many of those performances were powered by, you know, performance-enhancing drugs? How far back does this go? 
it bears the question to what is he like when he comes back if he has to go clean and leaves all this stuff alone. What's the real TJ Dillashaw look like as a tuned-in athlete? One has to think that it won't be as significant and as high-performing and as technical and as explosive and dynamic as it would have been with the current regimen of, of drugs that he was on. So for me, this puts a massive stain on his legacy, and I think it bears the question asking of how do we act, or not me, how or we, it's how do they react to this? How does the government body, how does the sport in, in general, how does the UFC as an organization respond to this in terms of like correcting the record, as it were? And then it bears the question of how far back do you try to start correcting the record for? You know, because we know people were doping all the time back in the day before USADA came in. And USADA has been in what, five years, six years, something like that. So it would be an interesting experiment to run. But I don't think the UFC wants that sort of publicity on their hands because I don't imagine the results would be that good. And we may have some heroes cut down in front of us, you know, <coughs> by retroactively looking at their uh, piss samples. Maybe we do go down that road and correct the record for all. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this stains TJ's legacy. And it's a fucking shame because, you know, he was what top three or four pound for pound in the world. He was coming. He was looking to come back from a loss to Henry Cejudo and try to regain his title. But he's out for two years now. And because he's a cheater. And he will forever be known now as a cheater. Because this, you can't put down to, he had a bad batch of protein. Or he didn't know what was going in. These were injectable levels of EPO. This was some Tour de France type doping shit. Um, so really, really unfortunate. Because I was a huge TJ Dillashaw fan. I think he's a super talented athlete. Um, just a real shame. And I mean, Cody Garbrandt must be absolutely furious at this, you know, showing zero love. Some would say no love to TJ on the uh, back of this. And, you know, how did it affect his performance? Cody clapped him. He got caught. TJ bounced back. How much of the performance enhancing drugs, you know, had an effect on that response? Who knows? Who knows? But it's a, it's just a dirty way to go. And I thought, you know, as a, from an athlete perspective, I thought TJ Dillashaw was, you know, a lot better than this. But that chase for the title, that chase for the top, that chase for legacy can make people do ugly, ugly things. And, you know, we're seeing it on, on display here, which is, again, it's just a real shame. So <clears throat> putting that kind of negative issue aside, move on to the event that's going on tomorrow so we're friday night this will be shown at 3 a.m main card starts on bt sport at 3 a.m british standard time so for anybody that's looking to uh tune in i would say record it probably watch it the next morning and just stay off social media but if you're so inclined to stay up that's what time so one o'clock for the prelims i'm not even covering the prelims you know just for the sake of 
talking about you know fighters I don't know a ton about. Um, we're just going to look at the main event. And on the main event, there are one, two, th one, two, three, four, five, five fights. Starting off with Nikita Krylov, uh, Krylov uh, versus Ovint St. Prue. OSP uh, is coming off of a loss to uh, Dominic Reyes, I believe, and is actually two and one in his last three. So OSP is, you know, he's kind of always been an up and down uh, fighter with the with the record, kind of goes on a couple win streak and then loses and so on. Uh, you know, Krilov is a slight favorite in this fight and looks good from a striking position. I don't know if he'll be able to handle the wrestling and the strength of Ovin St. Prue, uh, but it should be a pretty good way to start the start the, the main card off for UFC 236. So I'm going to I'm just going to go out there and, and go with Krilov. I don't, you know, he's a slight favorite. Uh we're talking a minus 120 to a minus or no, sorry. Uh OSP is a slight favorite. My my apologies. Um but it's really a pick 'em fight. It depends what kind of OSP shows up. Uh it depends, you know, I say it depends. It depends on everything. Every every fight depends on everything, right? Like um, there's no information on Krilov, which is awesome. And the UFC website is just terrible. It's not working very well. Um, they're both six, three, you know, they're both big guys. OSP has a bigger reach. Um, but you know, Krilov is good on the ground. Uh, he's got a lot of, uh, he's got more wins by submission than he does by TKO. Um, but he doesn't have any decisions. So he's going for a finish. He's always looking to go for a finish. He's quite an active fighter. He's quite an accurate striker as well, and he doesn't absorb a lot. So, you know, this is an interesting thing, the dynamic in terms of these guys, because OSP is a great wrestler, but actually the stats, you know, uh, stack up in his favor, while as, you know, Kurilov has more finishes on the ground, I believe, although, you know, the OSP choke, the Von Flew choke is the OSP choke now. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's unranked versus 12. Uh, OSP is a 12-ranked fighter, so this is an opportunity for Krilov to have a good fight on a main card and uh, and work his way up the ladder. So we'll see what that fight looks like, but, you know, it should be a good one. It should be a good one. I like Krilov, um, you know, and if OSP shows up, he's always good for a for an exciting fight, so we'll see. Um, moving on, we've got, I mean, Alan Joban versus Dwight Grant, right? Dwight Grant's a guy that I believe it was John Anikson. doesn't have much body. He's all legs and arms. And it's true. He's got enormously long legs and enormously long arms. And he fights small. So it's not a lot of body to hit at. Um, but, you know, Alan Joban, the the model uh, slash MMA fighter, um, always puts on a good show. I like Dwight Grant. Uh, he's 9-2. and two. This is a welterweight fight. Um, he's got... He's basically got a, almost an 80% like knockout rate, does Dwight Grant. Um, now, Joban's not that bad either. Uh, Joban is more of an active fighter by the stats uh, and a more accurate striker as well. Um, I don't know, man. This is a tough one to fight, a uh, tough one to pick. I'm going to go with Dwight Grant on this just because... He just fought. I think he's a little bit more active than Joe Ban is. And 
yeah, I just I quite like his I like his striking style. It's long and it's effective, and if he can keep that distance, then you know it should be uh, it should be a nice opportunity for him to you know touch up Joe Ban, who does get touched up. You know, he does get hit in these fights. Um, but it, again, it's it's kind of a pick em, and there's not even really any odds on this fight, according to the UFC website, anyways. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Krilov so far, and I'm gonna go with Grant. Um, and then we've got Eric Anders, who is a favorite in the light heavyweight division over Khalil Roundtree. Um, I'm actually gonna go with Khalil Roundtree on this, and I don't know why. Uh, so how's that for some professional analysis? Um, I mean, they're both built like absolute brick shit houses. They're both 6'1". They're both 205. They both effectively got the same reach. You know, Khalil Roundtree's got a little longer reach. Um, you know, they've both got pretty good finishing rates. They're not terribly active. Um, but that's because they're, you know, they're very heavily muscled and I'm, you know, I'm I'm sure although they're in great shape, you know, those muscles still get that lactic acid in them and it can really slow you down quick. Both have pretty good uh, takedown defense stats. Um, Khalil Roundtree Jr. is, you know, again, he's kind of a long fighter. Uh, I'm just going to pull up kind of his last, his latest record. Um, he's 8-3. and three, So... Where's, I mean, the UFC website is so bad. So he lost to Johnny Walker, but he beat Gohan's, Gokan Saki last July. I remember that. He got fucked up by Johnny Walker. Um, what's Eric Anders' record? Let me... His nickname's Yaboy. Like, Yaboy. Eric Yaboy Anders. Fuck off. <laughs> so, he's got seven wins by knockout. Uh, he has... His last win was against Theodoru. His, then he lost to Santos. Then he beat Williams. So, two and one... In his last three, yeah, no, I'm going to go with Cleo Roundtree. I'm going to go with Cleo Roundtree on this one. By knockout as well. All right, let's move on. Because really the fights that I want to talk about are the main event and the co-main event. So we're there now. And the co-main event, as I said up front, is Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya coming off a win over Anderson Silva, which was like, you know, kind of watching the Matrix in uh, in motion. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum obviously got the win by default uh, when he, when Robert Whitaker couldn't, uh, couldn't fight for the title in their scheduled matchup. But I want to go through a couple of things with these guys because, you know, with Kelvin, these are two very, very different styles, by the way, if you don't know anything about them. Um, so the number four ranked middleweight in the world is Kelvin Gastelum. He's 16 and three. Okay. He's on a two fight win streak. Um, he's got seven wins by knockout, four wins by submission. Okay. His last win, right. Was over Jacare Souza round three, one by decision unanimously. I believe before that he knocked out Bisbing before that, uh, he lost to Weidman. All right. 
but that was him moving up. Okay, because before that, he beat Vitor Belfort, Tim Kennedy, Johnny Hendricks. He lost to Neil Magny, beat Marquardt, and then before that lost in a split decision to the former champion Tyron Woodley. So this guy's resume is no fucking joke, right? Kelvin Gastelum, great on the feet, slick boxer, good movement, cardio for days. His training is epic. Um, and he's a he's a he's a tough motherfucker, man, straight up, right? So he deserves to be here. 100% deserves to be here. His record is, you know, it speaks for itself. And he's fighting at 180 now. He's fighting at one, he's fighting at middleweight now. Um, so he's, he's in the 185 division, but he's 5'9", right? So he's short, stocky for the division. Like, but the way he bobs and weaves and his movement, he's always on his toes and he's coming in and he's coming at different angles with you. You know, and he's throwing together great combinations. And like I said, his strike in his boxing is quite slick and he can find a way in on those long reaches. You know, Suzu was bigger. Like everybody he fights is bigger than him, but he manages to get the job done pretty much nine times out of 10, right? Because he's 15 and three and his resume is stacked. But now he's fighting Israel Adesanya. And Israel Adesanya is 16-0. But 16-0 doesn't really tell the story of Israel Adesanya. It's what Israel Adesanya has done in his career leading up to the UFC and how he's putting all that together to make this ascension up to the championship level so quickly. you got to think, Adesanya's been in the UFC for a year, maybe just over, and he's already fighting for a title. Okay, so how did he get there? Well, in the UFC, he has so far gone through a guy called Wilkinson, right? Then he beat Vettatori. These are decision wins. Uh, sorry, he beat Wilkinson by KO second round. He won by decision against um, Vettatori. He won a decision against uh, Brad Tavares. He knocked out in the first round Derek Brunson, and he won a decision against Anderson Silva. Now, you're like, oh, you know, you might say, oh, decision, decision, decision. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I kind of don't either because this guy is a technical striker, right? So he's not winging shots. He's not looking for that power KO like a Woodley or somebody like that, like Gastelum might be looking at, you know, in terms of his strategy against Adesanya, getting underneath, getting inside, hitting a big, big shot, big overhand right, big hook, big lead, you know, big lead, um, big lead jab with a big hook finish, hit the bot, you know, that kind of shit, working combos, bobbing in like Tyson, that sort of style. That's Gastelum, bouncing in and out, right? Adesanya's not that. He's going to sit there. He's going to look. He's going to read you. He's going to download your data, your movement, your patterns. And then he's going to look to crack you. He's going to look to put it on you, pepper you with shots, hit you with combinations, slick, stand right in front of you, kicks, punches, everything. And he is accurate. And maybe a lot of that hasn't been shown to the greatest extent in his sort of few, what was he had five fights in the UFC in the last... Well, yeah, we're just over a year, right? February 10th was his first fight, and we're in April, right? He fought in February. 
So he did five fights in a year. Coming straight back two months later. But he's a technician, guys. You got to look at his kickboxing videos if you haven't seen it. He just sets traps, sets like just sets up things for you to do, for you to look at, for you to consider while he's actually putting his plan in action. And I think if he's on point and he takes this fight as seriously as he needs to, he's going to piece up Gastelum pretty good. Now, if Gastelum puts it on him, we'll see how he can deal with pressure. We can see, see how Adesanya deals with a wrestler. These are going to be the questions that need to be answered by Israel if he's going to take this title. And if he's going to start to cement a legacy for himself now, how is he going to respond to the type of fighter that Gastelum is who, from a stats perspective, from a, from an outward, you know, visual perspective, you wouldn't pick him. You wouldn't pick him. But he always manages to get it done. So will Israel Adesanya be able to figure out Kelvin, outlast him, outwork him, pick him apart, you know, implement his strategy to the point where he can be successful either by stoppage or by decision. Questions obviously remain, but Israel Adesanya has to be my favorite fighter at the moment. I love his style. I love his vibe. I love the way he carries himself off uh, outside of the octagon. He's a cool guy, man, from New Zealand, like, you know, originally from Nigeria, like, he's fucking cool, and I love his style of fighting. He is, to me, a new version of Anderson Silva. That's what he is to me. Um, not only am I rooting for him, but I'm going to pick him in this fight as well uh, to take the title at 180, and then it's off to the races. Um, but if Kelvin was to win, you know, it it's not going to be easy, I don't think. But, you know, Kelvin has every opportunity to win as well. This is not a gimme fight for Israel at all. Kelvin is a motherfucker. So I'm expecting a great fight uh, in the co-main event. But I'm going to go with uh, with Adesanya, who I fucking love. And I think he's uh, I think he's got a hell of a future lying just ahead of him. So if he can get this done, we're really and truly off to the races with a new superstar. Um, and then moving on to the co-main or to the uh, to the main event. We're going to be talking about Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier. Now, this is, again, for, for an interim lightweight title bout, right? Um, this is for the interim lightweight title while they figure out what the hell is going on with Khabib and Connor. And ultimately, I guess when he comes back, the winner of the main event will fight Khabib. Just like, I presume, the winner of the Gastelum-Adesanya fight will fight We'll have a matchup with um, Robert Whitaker if and when he returns healthy. So we'll see how that goes. But main event time. So Dustin Poirier first. We know Dustin Poirier used to be uh, 145-er, um, became too hard of a weight cut, so he decided to move up to 155. And since moving up to 155, um, has been on a run. Okay, His last three fights, he has beat Anthony Pettis, he has beaten Justin Gaethje, and he has beaten um, Eddie Alvarez, okay? He KO'd Pettis in the third round. He KO'd Gaethje in the fourth round, and he KO'd Alvarez in the second round in his last three fights. So clearly, clear, clear enough, 
He's on a three-fight win streak. He's got 13 wins by knockout and six wins by submission. Poirier is a motherfucker. A lot of people know this guy only because of he, you know, only because he appears on highlights of uh, Connors, right? He got KO'd at 145 by Connor um, after taking that overhand to the temple. But Dustin Poirier is a hell of a fighter. He is a talented fighter. He can do everything. He's got great conditioning. He's a warrior. He loves to scrap. Um, and, you know, I really like him. So this 155 bout is really interesting to me, not only because of the confidence and the momentum that Poirier has behind him, but since moving up to 155, he seems like he's found his place. Oh, he seems like he's found his place in the octagon. He seems like he's found his place in training and with his team. And, you know, everything seems to be clicking for him. So that's a great thing because, you know, he's number three in, he's still relatively young. He's got massive momentum behind him, and he's got all the talent to get the job done, right? Both these guys are super active fighters. I don't think anybody's more active in there than uh, than, than Max Holloway. I watched the Brian Ortega fight finally um, again for, uh, for the second time a couple of days ago, just to recap on it, because uh, it came up on a YouTube feed, and man was Holloway putting the numbers up. I think he threw like 400-odd punches in that fight. It was insane. Um, but respectively, you, Poirier is also very, very active when he's inside that octagon. You know, six strikes landed per minute. You know, just very accurate, um, very composed, and just a complete fighter in my opinion. I really like Poirier. Um, and he just seems like he's in a good place. So I'm expecting a really good performance from him uh, tomorrow night. But the guy he's fighting, as much as I don't personally like him, I don't personally like Max Holloway. There's just something about him that kind of annoys me, whether it's sort of a try too hard in front of the camera style or I don't know. I just I don't know what it is. There's just something that doesn't allow me to gravitate towards Max Holloway. But with that said, you cannot deny the fighter that he is, the champion that he is, and the record that he's got, right? He's on a 13-fight win streak. The last time he lost was a decision to Conor McGregor. And that was fucking ages ago, right? That was like Conor's second fight in the octagon or third fight in the UFC or something like that. So just to look at... <coughs> Holloway's record like we did for Poirier his record is a win by let's go back let's go back let's have a little looky here let's let's go back a little little further right because if you want to talk about a, a fucking resume there is an argument that it's not Jose Aldo it's not Conor McGregor but the best featherweight of all time is Max Holloway right he's beaten everybody he beat, let's load even more. Let's go back even more. Fuck it. Let's go back even more. So Andre Feely, we're going back to 2014. Andre Feely, uh, Cole Miller, Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira, Jeremy Stevens, Ricardo Lamas, Sergio Pettis, or Anthony Pettis, Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo again, and then Brian Ortega. That's his resume in the last four years. It's insane, guys. And there's been no doubt about it 
because working from most recent, it's TKO, 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 decision against Lamas, decision against Stevens, TKO, unanimous decision, TKO, TKO, submission. I mean, if there's any doubt in terms of how good Max Holloway is, you need to smash your fucking head into a wall because he, in my opinion, is the greatest featherweight of all time. And I don't even like the guy. But the way he can fight, the way he can put together an offense, his toughness, willingness to get in there and go toe-to-toe. Like, if you think you're going to out outscrap Holloway, you're wrong. He's going to stand right in the middle, bite down on his mouthpiece, and fucking swing for the hills, if he so chooses. But like you saw in the Ortega fight, if he wants to stand there and pick you apart from the outside, he can do that too. I mean, the amount of uh, overhand rights, I can't remember what he was hitting him, hitting him with. Be an overhand right that he was he kept hitting Ortega with and busting his face up. It was crazy. It was crazy. Some of his performances have been... I mean, he beat Jose Aldo twice, and he beat him worse the second time than he did the first time. I mean, he seems to just be getting better, which is insane. And it's... Again, it's one of those things where it's like, how do you bet against a guy that's got this sort of legacy that he's building? But, as we know, in this sport, all champions lose. Right? Everybody loses. Nobody has a perfect record. The closest one is John Jones. Because unless you're in the upper echelon, I don't give a fuck about your undefeated record. Unless you're fighting in the top 10 consistently, your undefeated record means nothing. So the only one that even come close that comes close to proclaiming that is John Jones. Right? Because his only loss technically was a DQ uh, on some bullshit from the ref about, you know, 12 to 6 elbows. You know, and his no contest in the, against Cormier. But that's it. He's a monster. But outside of that, Max Holloway is on a 13-fight win streak. He hasn't lost in like six years, seven years, whenever the Connor fight was, six years ago, something like that. Like, it's fucking nuts. It's nuts. So I'm expecting an amazing fight. I'm expecting blood. I'm expecting violence. I'm expecting technique. I'm expecting endurance. I'm expecting, I'm expecting everything in this fight. On the ground, standing up, everything. But I just don't know who to put my money on. I don't know who to call for this fight. Like, it's an easy one to say, well, you know, um, Holloway is the favorite. He's on a 13-fight win streak. And in the bookies' odds, he's like a 2-to-1 favorite. So, you know, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't take that into account. But I just feel like you're always, you're always in with a crack if you take the underdog. Especially in a title fight. Especially with somebody who's held the belt for a long time. Right? Who bet... Weidman was going to beat Anderson Silva. Who bet that Ronda Rousey was going to lose to Holly Holm in a head kick, right? Who picks these things? Who th thought that Matt Serra was going to beat GSP, right? Crazy shit happens. Crazy shit happens. So I don't know, but I'm going to go with Poirier because the way the UFC website set up right now, it looks like I'm going with the whole entire right side of the main card, which is actually true. Um, but I'm going to go with Poirier. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this might be his time. So let's see. 
But again, if you want to tune into this event, it's going to be at 3 a.m. British Standard Time on BT Sport. Uh, you'll need a subscription if you're not if you're a Sky customer, um, and if if you're a Virgin, then I think you get it automatically. But uh, prelims will start at one. The pre prelims will start at 12, I believe, or or 12 or 11:30. <coughs> but I'm just going to record this and watch it on Sunday morning and find out what happened. But Tune in if you haven't seen it. Tune in if you didn't know what was going on, and tune in if you did. Um, it should be a decent card. The top two, the top two fights are going to be just awesome. I can't wait. I just hope between now and then they stay healthy. Um, but I'm looking forward to a pretty good card, and I hope you guys are too. So we just wanted to break that down. You know, give you the unfortunate news if you hadn't heard it already about T.J. Dillashaw. Give our thoughts again on the Connor and Khabib stuff and then just break a couple of these fights down so you know rolling through guys rolling through um we just did episode uh 81 so that would if my math is right this would make this episode 82 so that's a wrap on the UFC 236 preview show I hope you enjoyed it tune in for more Get us on Spotify, get us on iTunes, get us on SoundCloud. We're going to come back next week now. I want you guys to have a great weekend. Um, I hope it's full of good fun and all that fucking shit. Uh, you know, do what you want. <laughs> Give a fuck what you do. <laughs> um, I, seriously, I hope you guys have a good weekend. And we will be back here next week to do it all again. Um, we'll probably be coming at you either Monday or Wednesday, I would imagine. Uh, but whatever the schedule dictates. But I'm so happy we managed to get three episodes done this week. And I hope you guys listen. Hope you guys download and hope you guys enjoy it. And we'll come back and join us again soon. Um, so until then, my name's Daryl. I'm the host of this thing called The Quiet Part Loud. Uh, this has been episode 82. And until next time, guys, all the best. <laughs>